Everybody doing all right this morning? Good? Good. So today we finish up uh, the book of Nehemiah. Before we get to that, though, I had something kind of um, serious to talk to you guys about. Uh, there's been some things happen recently in the United States that's really concerned to me. And as a pastor, I just want to make sure all of your souls are in the right place. Uh, because last week, Alabama lost and Tennessee won. So hold on. So Jesus could be coming back at any minute. So I just want to make sure that all you guys are taken care of. And um, you don't know how hard it was for me to get that whole thing out without laughing. Uh, <laughs> someone booed me over here. Thank you. I expected that. I expected jeers. And uh, no, no. Um, <laughs> for real, though, we are in, for real, we are in the book of Nehemiah. We're finishing it up this week, and uh, we've been doing this for quite some time. Let me catch you up to speed real quick if you haven't been here. The book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament is about a guy named Nehemiah. He was a Jewish guy and about 2,500 years ago was exiled from his hometown of Jerusalem, about 1,700 miles away to what is modern-day Iraq in the area of Babylon during the Persian Empire, if you're, if you're you know, a history buff. He ended up working for the king, a guy named King Artaxerxes, which we'll actually talk about a little bit in chapter 13 today. And he got permission to go back to his hometown in Jerusalem because he found out that his hometown was in ruins, uh, both uh, metaphorically, right, that the that society was in ruins, and literally, the city was in ruins. So he goes back uh, with permission from the king to rebuild the city, specifically to rebuild the wall around the city, because you could not populate a city unless it was safe, right, and it couldn't flourish. So quick recap before we finish up this book of the Bible, in case you have not been here, Chapter six, they, they complete the wall, which was miraculous, done in record time, right? Pretty miraculous thing, they complete the wall. Chapter seven, the first set of exiles, Jewish people, start to repopulate the city because now it's safe. Chapter eight, they have a huge celebration. Um, it's actually really cool to read about. They, they build the wall and they say, no one cries or mourns, we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna eat the best food, drink the best wine, we're gonna share it with our neighbors. It's basically a huge party, right? They have this huge party to celebrate God's provision and what he had done for them and given them back their city. Remember that today, okay? They were celebrating that God had given back their city. In chapter nine, they repented for the sins that got them into the predicament in the first place. I want you to remember this too today as we do chapter 13. They said, God, we were wrong, we sinned against you, and that's why the community fell apart, because we lived in rebellion to you. So they repented of those things. Chapter 10, they took an oath, right? Some of the people signed it, some of the people just swore an oath. Uh, Nehemiah made the people swear this oath that they were going to uphold the teachings of the Bible, right? In that time, they only had the first five books, right? It's called the Torah, written by Moses, that they were going to uphold the first five books of the Bible and um, they were gonna swear to it. That was chapter 10. And then chapter 11 and 12 that we did two weeks ago, right, two weekends ago, we talked about now that they have established a community, they've sworn to uphold the Bible, they've repented of their sins, they've, they've gotten everything set, set in the right direction, in chapter 11 and 12, they repopulate more, and now it is time to just get back to living. 
get back to work, right? Literal work, going back into the, uh, into the education system and having security in the city, but going out and taking what the Bible has taught them out into a real world situation. That's what chapters 11 and 12 are about. And we talked about this. This is what we do, right? Or I hope this is what we do. That we come into here, we talk about the word of God, we, we have community, and then we take this back out into the real world because there's work to be done, right? Society's in pretty bad shape. I think the world needs the church, they need God, and we are the conduit, right, to deliver the gospel to the world that needs it. And so that's what we're called to do. Now, chapter 13, I'm gonna tell you, if you have not read it yet, man, it's like an M. Night Shyamalan movie film or something, and there is a twist at the end of Nehemiah. I could, you guys still watch movies, I hope. Anyways, so there is this huge twist at the end of this book of the Bible, and um, I hope this doesn't spoil it because it's, it's pretty amazing how this book ends. What we're gonna talk about is this. We as individuals will make mistakes. We're gonna fall, but we have to choose not only to ask God to forgive us, but we have to choose to start to walk away from sin, evil, and start walking towards Jesus. And if we do that, we will sin less. We will get closer and closer to what God wants us to be, right? But we have to choose, we have to decide to do that. The other part of that is, we also have to choose to help people around us get up, right? Seek God, and we are to do this as, as kind of a team effort. We don't do this alone. We do this arm in arm with other people, walking towards Christ. And that sounds all fine and good. Uh, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but man, people are tough. It is hard, right, with people. So not only are we to make a decision to move closer to Christ, we are to make a decision to help other people move closer to Christ, okay? That's what we're gonna talk about today, okay? So you should have got a notes handout when you walked in. Everything I'm gonna talk about will be in there. Everything will be on the screens. Uh, if you have a smartphone, um, everything is on the app. Just click on sermon notes. If you have a Bible, we're in between the book of Ezra and Esther is the book of Nehemiah. We'll finish that up today. Uh, we'll start 1 Thessalonians next week. We'll do 1 and 2 Thessalonians. And then after that, either Mark or 1 Corinthians. I don't know, right? One will make you really happy. One will make you feel not as happy. So, and, and I just don't know uh, <laughs> what direction I wanna go yet. Anyways, all right. So uh, let me pray, and uh, we'll jump into this, okay? Father, Lord, we love you. God, I love this church so much, Lord. God, thank you, Lord, that we can laugh, um, that we can come into this place and worship you, and, and when we need to get serious, God, that we can. Lord, so, so thank you for our church. I pray that you bless our church today. I pray, God, that you bless all of our campuses. I pray that you bless all the other churches in this city and all the other cities, God, where we have campuses. Lord, I pray that you keep your hand on all the great nonprofits in this city. Lord, I pray that you keep your hand on our friends, uh, the pastor churches in New England and in Africa and El Salvador and the other places where we get to work. And God, we just pray for your church all around the world, Lord. And um, we pray, God, that everything we do today, that it honors you. And Lord, that it blesses us, God. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all these things in your son's name, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, be gracious with me. Some names today, again, that I'll probably mess up, but I'll do my best, okay? Chapter 13, Nehemiah. This is the conclusion, okay? At that time, the book of Moses was read publicly to the people. The command was found written in it that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God because they did not meet the Israelites with food and water. Instead, they hired Balaam against them to curse them. 
but our God turned the curse into a blessing. When they heard the law, they separated all those of mixed descent from Israel. Now before this, the priest, Elishib, Elishib, had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was a relative of Tobiah and had prepared a large room for him where they had previously stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, and tents of grain, new wine, fresh oil that was prescribed for the Levites, singers, gatekeepers, along with the contributions for the priests. While all this was happening, I was not in Jerusalem because I had returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign. It was only later that I asked the king for leave of absence so I could return to Jerusalem. Then I discovered the evil that Elishib had done on behalf of Tobiah by providing him a room in the courts of God's house. I was greatly displeased and threw all of Tobiah's household possessions out of the room. I ordered that the rooms be purified and I had the articles of the house of God restored there along with the grain offering and frankincense. I also found out that the portions for the Levites had not been given. Each of the Levites and the singers performing the services had gone back to their own field. Therefore, I rebuked the officials, asking why has the house of God been neglected? I gathered the Levites and singers together and I stationed them at their posts. Then all Judah, that's the region, brought a tenth of the grain, new wine, and fresh oil into the storehouses. I appointed as treasurers over the storehouses the priests Shelemiah, the scribe Zadok and Padiah of the Levites, with Hanan, son of Zakur, son of Madaniah, to assist them, because they were considered trustworthy. They were responsible for the distribution to their colleagues. Look at this verse. Remember me for this, my God, and don't erase the deeds of faithful love that I have done for, my, for the house of my God and for its services. So what in the world is he talking about? During the first tenure, we find out here there are two tenures of Nehemiah in Jerusalem. During the first tenure of Nehemiah's uh, time there, right? The people were dedicated to the word of God. Not only did they read and learn the word of God, they lived by the word of God. Not only that, they separated themselves from foreign influences because foreign influences brought in false teaching, unethical business practices, and violence. Now, let me stop here for a second. If you're new here, if you read the book of Nehemiah or really much of the Old Testament at all, you would almost think that the Jewish people were racist and nationalistic, and that's not the case. When it talks about foreign influences, it is not talking about different cultures. It's not talking about different color skin. It's not talking about different ways of preparing food or anything. That's not what that's talking about. It is talking about religious differences. People that believed in other gods besides the true God, they had to separate from false religious beliefs, right? Because with those come false teachings, unethical practices, and violence. So that's what that's referring to. If you have been here for the book of Nehemiah, we have talked about separation a lot, right? When to separate, when to not separate. And the only way to know when and where we should be certain places and, and with whom we're around is we have to have the gift of wisdom and the gift of discernment. 
These are gifts of the Holy Spirit mentioned in the Bible, given to us if we ask for these things. Now, there are many gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? But the only one, to my knowledge, that is promised that we will always receive it is the gift of wisdom. That means that all of us in this room, if you call yourself a Christian, we should be praying for God's wisdom every single day. So it is only by wisdom and by discernment that we know who and when we can be around certain places, people, situations. So the Bible calls us to be around non-believers. That's the only way non-believers are gonna hear the gospel, right? But we can only be around non-believers and we can only be in certain situations if we are absolutely full of the Holy Spirit of God and if it doesn't cause us to stumble. So we must be full of the Holy Spirit. We have to be wise about these things, discerning about these things. We must also be wise enough to know when it's not a good idea for us to be around certain people in certain places, right? There's some, there's some places Christians just should not go and some things we should not partake in, right? But we have to know the word of God and we have to have the gift of wisdom to understand when to get out. So verse four and five are interesting. It tells us that somewhere along the way, something shifted. Somewhere along the way, something uh, evil influences started to slip back into the community. And we find out the first one was, is that when Nehemiah was gone, there was a high priest that was named Elishib, right? And he was put in charge of the finances, the storehouses of God not just paying the people who should work in the temple, but distributing uh, benevolence and helping people out, making sure that everyone had enough to eat. And we find out that this man who was appointed the priest was a relative of a guy named Tobiah. If you have been with us through Nehemiah in chapter two and four, Tobiah was one of the bad guys. He was a non-believer, did not believe in the true God, and he hated the people of God. Go back to chapters two and four and you can read about him. And so what we see now is an outside influence has not only made its way into the church, that there was actually a storeroom prepared for this non-believer to come in and occupy space in the temple, right? And so a priest let in something that was not of God. Now, why would he do this? Here we go, this is gonna be fun. The reason why, is because, listen, the emphasis of the church was taken off the word of God and it was more about politics and money. Now, I'm not gonna pull any punches on this one. If you ask my opinion, what has gone awry in the North American church is for the last 30 or 40 years, instead of pastors teaching this book, they get on political high horses and they talk about politics and they're trying to build up their budgets so they can build these monstrosity buildings. And that's not their job. Their job is to teach the Bible. And the more we have strayed from this book, it is no wonder that the more that the American church is in absolute collapse right now because the job of the pastor is only to teach the gospel. It's not to make health decisions for you. It's not to tell you how to vote. It is to teach you what God thinks and how to live by God's standards. And then we go out into that world, we hopefully see everything through a biblical worldview because the man or woman of God has taught us the Bible. 
The problem is this, is that when we compromise teaching the word, everything else feels the effect. You felt it in your city, you felt it in your state, we are feeling it in our nation right now. Everyone sees it, right? Are we awake? I hope so, okay, because it's happening right now. So Nehemiah had gone back to Babylon. And verse six says, I like how he makes it clear, right? These things didn't happen on my watch. I left and then these things started to take place. He had been gone from from Babylon for 12 years, gave up 12 years of his life to reestablish the Jewish community. And so when he returned, he found out what had happened with Tobiah, went, kicked Tobiah out, purified the rooms, put the proper offerings and things back into that space that should have been there. And then he found out that they were not paying the priests and the worship leaders, it says singers. They were not praying the people who should have been doing the work of the church, right, is an occupation. And this made him extremely mad. He rebuked the officials, the ones who were in charge, the ones who were responsible for the integrity of the temple. And so what we start to learn, we're gonna see it a lot here in a minute, Nehemiah was not the most polished leader. He was a good leader. Uh, When he starts pulling hair and beating people up here in a couple of uh, uh, verses, that's not always the best response but he was straightforward. (laughs) He was straightforward, not because he didn't love the people, but because he loved the people very much. Let me be a big baby here for a second. I'm gonna be one. Oftentimes when people leave this church, it's not because they think I'm teaching something incorrectly, it's my tone, right? They don't like that that I'm, I'm so blunt sometimes. And if you ever meet me like somewhere, right? Like if you're ever out somewhere, I I think I'm a pretty nice guy, right? And, and, It's not, when I'm up here and I'm straightforward and I'm blunt, it's not because I like being a jerk. It's because I love you so much, I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want your marriage to fall apart. I don't want you to fall apart, right? And not that I have all the answers, but this book does. And I feel like in this world where everyone is just kind of like, man, what is the proper word? Uh, So apathetic and everything and so, so lackadaisical. Sometimes I feel like I have to scream, right? to get people's attention because we're driving off a cliff. And I don't want you to drive off a cliff, right? I don't wanna see people that I love drive off a cliff. So Nehemiah had a plan. He kicked Tobiah out, that was stage one. Stage two was now put the things back into the temple the way that they were supposed to be, do it the way it's supposed to be done. So he collected the tithes and the offerings, he put them in the proper places, and it says he basically built up a team to make sure that the system didn't fall apart again, that corruption didn't creep its way back in. So remember, if you go back and read the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a book on leadership, good leadership. And we learn from Nehemiah that that integrity is not just our beliefs in God, it's how we sacrifice for God, it's how we use our time, our money, and our resources for God. It's about being held accountable, right? All of these things are wrapped up into being a godly person with integrity. And now look at this. At the end of this first section, this is very, very interesting. And he's gonna do it three times. And it's kind of sad. Nehemiah, at the end of the three sections we're gonna read today, at the end of it, he says, God, I'm paraphrasing, but he basically says, God, remember me, I'm doing my best. The people are falling apart. They're making bad decisions, but God, I've done everything you've told me to do. Remember all my hard work, God. Now here's this delicate balance that all of us are gonna be in the middle of this tension. The tension was this. 
Nehemiah knew that people's individual decisions were their decisions. What I mean by that is this. Listen, all of us in this room, one day when we stand in front of Jesus Christ and the great throne of judgment, you're not gonna be able to blame me about your lack of relationship with God. You won't be able to blame me. It's not gonna work. All of us are going to be held accountable for what we have done, for what we have chosen. That's one end of the tension. The other tension is this. We will also be held accountable for the influence we have had over other people. Jesus said, if you mislead a child, right? I think he's referring to a spiritual child. If you mislead one of these, Jesus says, it is better for you to tie a stone around your neck and to dive into a lake. He basically says, it's better for you to kill yourself than to mislead people spiritually. That is heavy. Jesus said that, right? And so here's the thing. There's this tension with all of us in this room. Yes, your decisions are your decisions and you're gonna be held accountable for them. But if God has given me an opportunity to stand up here and teach you this word, I can also bet my bottom dollar I'm going to be held responsible to a certain degree too. And there is this tension, right? That all of us in this room, because all of us have influence, we have to learn how to balance this tension, okay? All right. At that time, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath, They were also bringing in stores of grain and loading them on donkeys along with wine, grapes, and figs. All kinds of goods were being brought to Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. So I warned them against selling food on that day. The Tyrians living there were importing fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem. I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil that you're doing? Profaning the Sabbath day. Didn't your ancestors do the same so that our God brought all this disaster on us on the city? And now you are rekindling his anger against Israel by profaning the Sabbath. When shadows began to fall on the city gates of Jerusalem just before the Sabbath, I gave orders that the city gates be closed and not opened until after the Sabbath. I posted some of my men at the gates so that no goods could enter during the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and those who sell all kinds of goods camped outside Jerusalem. But I warned them, why are you camping in front of the wall? If you do it again, I'll use force against you. And after that, they did not come again on the Sabbath. Then I instructed the Levites to purify themselves and guard the city gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Look at this, here we are again. Remember me for this also, my God, and look look on me with compassion according to the abundance of your faithful love. So during the, the tenure, the second tenure of Nehemiah, this is when Nehemiah started to see everything that, that he had built up. When I say he, of course we know it was God, but it was under the leadership of Nehemiah. He started to see everything unravel. The first thing was the integrity of the temple. The second thing was, is the people, I'm gonna put it in modern day terms, they stopped going to church basically, right? They, they neglected the Sabbath day. So here's the thing about the Sabbath day. To the Jews, it was Saturday. To the New Testament Christians, it was Sunday. It it really doesn't matter the day, right? Paul and Peter both go on later to say it's not about a particular day. It is about intentionally setting aside time to rest, meditate, worship, think about God, recharge, right? That's what the Sabbath is. 
So here's the thing about the Sabbath. It's one of the 10 commandments. So here's the thing. God commands us to work. We were, we were built to work, right, in some capacity. Even before the fall of man in Genesis chapter three, in chapters one and two, it says that God created man to work, right, to subdue the earth, to, to work the earth. That's what we are called to do. We are called to work. God even models that we are called to work in the fact that he worked six days and then he rested. God did not have to rest, he's God. But what he was doing was modeling to us not just that we're supposed to work, but we are to rest as well. In fact, in the Old Testament, not obeying the Sabbath could be punishable up to death, right? They could kill you for not doing this. It was very important to God that people rest, meditate, worship, recharge. Now, I'm preaching to the choir today because you're all here today, but but here's the thing. 99% of the time, the reason why we do not honor a Sabbath day, let's just call it for the sake of our culture, coming to church on a Sunday or a Saturday, right? Resting, spending some time connecting with God. 99% of the time as to why we miss this is for for greed and selfish reasons. If we are honest, our lack of church participation an intentional spiritual recharging is because a lot of us tend to look at church as kind of a secondary thing. It's kind of a supplement. It's just something I'll get to if it's not too rainy, not too sunny, not too hot, not too cold, right? If there's no football game on, no travel baseball, we might make it. So right now in the United States, Christians go to church on average one time a month, one time a month. That's a lifeway statistic. Let me tell you what, when we do announcements here, I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. When we do announcements here, there's this huge process to communicate announcements to our church. Like let's, let's say for instance, for instance, the men's summit coming up. We have to announce it at least four weeks before the event. The reason why is because if we announce it four times, according to statistics, the average Christian may hear it one time and that's if they show up on time because church is not a priority. It's just not a priority to most Christians in the United States today. So, what do we consider essential? Listen, I love baseball. Cardinals disappointed me last week. Love baseball, right? But I'm gonna tell you what, parent, I'm glad your, your, your son is a great shortstop. Travel baseball will not save their soul. <laughs> Nothing against sports, guys. Nothing against it whatsoever. But if you are putting more investment into your children that they can catch and throw a ball than you are teaching them the principles of that book, shame on you. Shame on you. It's not right, and it's not going to bless them the way that this book will. We need to make sure that the church community is a priority, or our kids are gonna run wild, our marriages are gonna fall apart, society, we're seeing it, we're we're seeing it, right? The proof is already out there. Again, nothing against extracurriculars, nothing against you going on vacation. No, nothing against your, your, your kids doing stuff like that. You need to make sure that this is a priority. You need to make sure that this is a priority. It's a commandment of God, one of the 10 commandments of God. So in true Nehemiah fashion, he rebuked the leaders because the integrity of the community starts with the leaders, right? He said, didn't your ancestors do the same thing? Didn't your ancestors stop fellowshipping and communing together as believers in God, didn't they do it? And isn't this the reason why everything fell apart in the first place? So he's basically saying, not only should we, we be responsible, we should look in the past, and if it never worked in the past, why do we think it's now gonna work in the future? 
If this has never worked, why do we think it's gonna be any different now? That's what he was saying. So Nehemiah always had a plan, right? So he ordered the, the, the doors of the city to be shut. He kept people from bringing in outside goods and selling it to the Jewish people on Sabbath. He kept the Jewish people away from crossing over through the gate to buy stuff on the Sabbath, right? And so not only did the people ask for forgiveness, they took measures to stop the sin. This is what repentance really is. Repentance is not just saying, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry that, that I don't know, I've been greedy. God, I'm sorry that I lost my cool. God, I'm sorry, whatever the thing is, right? I'm sorry that I lusted. Not only do we say we're sorry, we take the steps to stop lusting. We take the steps to not be materialistic. We take the steps to not lose our temper, whatever the case may be. We move away from that sin. That is full repentance. Last part, look, it gets even worse. <laughs> In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples, but could not speak Hebrew. I rebuked them, cursed them, beat some of their men, and pulled out their hair. <laughs> Probably wasn't so funny in the moment, right? I forced them to take an oath before God and said, you must not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters as wives for your sons or yourselves. Look at this. Didn't King Solomon of Israel sin in matters like this? There was not a king like him among many nations. He was loved by God and God made him king over all of Israel. Yet foreign women drew him into sin. Why then should we hear about you doing all this terrible evil and acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? Even one of the sons of Jehodiah, Je that person, son of the high priest Elishab, had become a son-in-law to Sanballat the Horonite, so I drove him away from me. Remember them, my God, for defiling the priesthood as well as the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. So I purified them from, every, uh, from everything foreign and assigned specific duties to each of the priests and Levites. I also arranged for the donation of wood at the appointed times and for the first fruits. And then he says, remember me, my God, with favor. So Nehemiah remembered when it got even worse. Now, this whole book of Nehemiah is him going back in, in basically his memoirs, Right? So not only had the temple sacrificed its integrity, let in a non-believer to live in it, right? Not only were they not respecting the Sabbath day, now they were accepting false teachings. Look at this. I want everyone to see this. Notice the progression. When the church fails to teach the Bible, the Sabbath isn't honored. We've seen this right now in our nation, right? Whenever the Bible... Christians have made such a thing. We have made the church a joke in the United States. We've made it an absolute joke. I'm not saying every church. We, in fact, Rutherford County has some pretty fantastic churches. But we have made, overall, the church in the United States a joke because we have not stuck to the word of God. We think it's a lot sexier, right, to come up with some kind of like sermon series like Fifty Shades of Grace or something, right? That's gonna get everyone in. That's gonna captivate the audiences, and so we go down stupid roads like that and we wonder why no one wants to come to church because it's a joke, right? If it's all about a rock show, you can go see the killers or you too and get a much better rock show, 
We're never gonna compete with that, right? And so because the Bible is not taught, the Sabbath day is not honored, and because the Sabbath day is not honored and the Bible is not taught, false teaching starts to infiltrate the people of God. There are a lot of people in this, in this community and all around this country that claim to follow Jesus but have no idea what he says in this word. And they believe a lot of things that are false. They are wrong, right? So previously in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah told the people to not marry foreigners. This has nothing to do with skin color. This has nothing to do with nationality. He is not a racist, right? I'm gonna say this again here in a minute. This is simply because of the other gods that they would worship. We know that it's not a sin to, to do interracial marriages or, or people from other nationalities because Moses, a Jewish man, was married to an Ethiopian woman. Very dark complected, right? From another part, from another continent, right? She was from Africa, he was from the Middle East. And so there's nothing wrong with that as long as you believe in the same God. So the same principle still applies. And I love what Nehemiah said. He goes, if you wanna see that it doesn't work, just go study the works of Solomon. If you are not with me during the book of Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is both unbelievably beautiful and really sad. It is really, really sad. You see a man that had it all, brilliant, attractive, rich, powerful, had God's favor, and he blew it. He blew it, and he did not end well because he let foreign influences right, creep into his life and into Israel. Nehemiah also says this. Again, he was not a racist. If taken out of context, this can be really bad. But he says they were having kids with foreign women and foreign men, and they were not teaching their kids Hebrew. They weren't speaking the native language. That has nothing to do with the fact that it's wrong to speak other languages. But at this time, the only way you could read and understand the Bible was in Hebrew. And so he was saying, because they don't understand Hebrew, they are incapable of understanding the word of God. So again, Nehemiah did not handle this well. Not only did he rebuke them, he beat up some of their men, pulled out their hair, not just pulled their hair, the hair came out of the scalp, right? This is really disturbing to think about. This was actually common, but still not okay. This is not the way... <laughs> It's just so you don't get any bad ideas, right? Well, they were living wrong, pulled their hair out, Corey, Bible said so, no, right? That's, sometimes the Bible is descriptive, not prescriptive, right? We should not do everything in the Old Testament, right? So he pulled out the hair. This was not the proper way to handle this. Now, here's the thing. It is not a sin to get mad. It's not a sin to get mad. Jesus got mad, right? God gets mad. That's why we talk about the wrath of God. We'll actually talk about that in 1 Thessalonians. Jesus got mad, right? When people were abusing the temple courtyards, the disciples say, where's Jesus? And someone goes, there he is. What's he doing? He's over there making a whip in the corner. Jesus is like, I'm about to show you what I'm doing, right? <laughs> Jesus got mad at times. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say don't get mad. The Bible says don't sin, in your anger. Don't let the sun go down in your anger, which means resolve your situation. Resolve that conflict and do not give the devil an opportunity, right? It's not, not a sin to get angry. It's what we do in that anger that can be sinful, okay? So here's another big plot twist. Verse 28 says that the son of the high priest 
married not only a foreign woman that didn't believe, right? But it was the daughter of the biggest bad guy in the book of Nehemiah, Sanballat. If you go back to the beginning of Nehemiah, he was the one that plotted to kill Nehemiah, who wanted to overthrow the Jews. And now the high priest's son was married into that family. Nehemiah's response at this thing was completely appropriate. Kicked him out, distanced himself from the people, which was completely an appropriate thing to do. We can't, this is dangerous, right? Spiritually and maybe even physically dangerous. We cannot do this. And then we end this book of the Bible in such a, a sad way, right? Two things that happen is the first one is Nehemiah says, God, remember the people. This is not the way that we want to be remembered by God. He is saying, God, remember the evil things that they have done, which means God, hold them accountable. This is judgment for negligence, for rebellious, for unrepentant sin. Now, here's the thing about that, guys. God is gracious, and we love to talk about grace, right? Because we're all recipients of it. We've all fallen short. We love grace. Now, listen, let me tell you about God's grace. We cannot even begin to fathom how gracious God is. God is so good, so merciful, so loving. We can't even wrap our brains around the grace of God. Paul says it is grace upon grace. It is much more dense than we can ever realize. God is a good, loving, gracious God. We can hold on to that. You can also hold on to this. He is a righteous judge. He is righteous, he is holy, and he does not tolerate evil. He does not tolerate it. And that's what makes him so good, right? And so if we live in rebellion, in, in, in willing unrepentance, there will be a remembrance that we do not wanna be a part of from God. So this is the saddest way that the book of Nehemiah ends. Isn't this crazy? If you go back and read the book of Nehemiah or, or listen to me teach on it, if you go back and listen to the, the previous 12 chapters, Nehemiah gave up a huge chunk of his life to build back a community. This book is not really about a wall at all. It's not about building a wall. It's about building a people. And through God's grace and through God's provision, Nehemiah built back a people, sacrificed everything. Man, this guy lived in the house with the king, the most powerful man in the world, left all that to put his life on the line to build up a people. And then after 12 years, the moment he steps out for a second, they all turn their backs, right? And he sees everything that he has worked for start to crumble in front of him. And he looks up and he says, I did my best, God, please. Please don't forget all that I've done. Please, isn't that sad? God, please don't forget. And what the book of Nehemiah does is it teaches us a lot about us. What it teaches us in Nehemiah is this, is that when the people, right, and when we as individuals, when we are connected with God and connected with the word of God, we flourish. We can do amazing, miraculous things. But the moment we separate ourselves from that, we absolutely fall apart. You're seeing it. You're seeing it. You are seeing it with your people, right? We are seeing it right now in real time that this separation from this and from God affects everything, everything. So what must we do? From chapter 13, we learn that we have to have discernment and wisdom 
Not only do we need to read the Bible because the Bible tells us what is right and wrong, right? It's pretty important. But we pray for God to give us the gift of wisdom, to give us the gift of discernment so we know what we need to steer clear of. Because if we are not wise, if we are not discerning, we open ourselves up to false teaching. We open ourselves up to poor choices. We open ourselves up to hurt and brokenness. And ultimately, we open ourselves up to sin, which will separate us from God, right? That's why we have to read this word. We have to pray. We have to ask for God's help. God, make me wise. God, give me the ability to discern, right? You guys know what I'm talking about when you walk into a situation and you get that gut feeling? The Lord's saying, you don't need to be here, right? That we need to learn to listen to that. We need to learn how to trust that right, that God has given us this ability. If we move away from God and his word, we will lack wisdom and discernment. And because we lack wisdom and discernment and being grounded in his word, we will inevitably not live holy lives. What does that mean? That means we live lives that don't honor God. And when we live lives that don't honor God, right, that live in, in contrary to how God wants us to live, not only are there dire consequences now, like your marriage falling apart, your relationships falling apart, your finances falling apart, your mental health falling apart, your physical health even falling apart, not only are there dire consequences now, there are eternal ramifications. Because Jesus says, if you deny me on earth, I deny you in heaven, right? We choose our eternity. And if we choose a life that is rebellious to God, God just gives us what we've always wanted, separation from him. And even if there is no devil, I believe in a devil, but let's say there is no devil. If you just leave a lot of humans to their own devices, it would be hell. Because all good and perfect things come from God. And imagine people devoid of that, right? God gives us over to what we've always wanted. And here's the thing. Every corner of society, every corner of your personal life is affected by your relationship or lack thereof with God. Everything. You know what's amazing to me? We live in maybe one of the most lazy, apathetic times that we ever have, but we also live in a time of increasing anxiety and fear. I find this interesting. There are people who don't do a darn thing all the time, but they live in anxiety and crippling fear. Why? Because even though we're not doing anything that should stress us out and bring us anxiety, because we do not have the Prince of Peace in our life, we have no rest. We live in a lazy culture that is restless. It's fascinating to me. It's fascinating. We don't know, we, we don't know peace. Not only does it affect things like that, it affects our economy. A distance from God affects our personal finances and, and our, our governmental finances. What do you mean? This book says that the debtor is slave to the lender. This book tells us how to wisely use our money, to not be materialistic, to not be in debt to people. We live in a nation now and we learn it from the top on down. Make eight, spend 12, right? And that's what we've all learned. And so we all get into this crippling, debilitating debt. You know the two things that will cause you to get divorced the quickest? Pornography and finances. Look it up. Those two things, right? We live in a hypersexualized culture and a culture that does not know how to live within their means. 
and is literally tearing families apart because we're distant from God. Tearing marriages apart, 60%, 60%. If it's your second marriage, it's somewhere in the ballpark of 80%. Get divorced. It even tears apart business ethics. And, and listen, I'm not against capitalism, but when you have people worth hundreds of billions of dollars and there are people starving in the streets, it's not a capitalism versus socialism problem, it's a heart problem. <laughs> That's what it is, right? But all of us are guilty to some degree, aren't we? Because we all live pretty well. It's a heart problem. But all of that is affected, right? Because of our distance from God. So here's the thing. All of us in this room, I said this last weekend, all of us in this room by nature, right, are going to gravitate towards self-destruction. The reason why is because we are all born into sin. We are all born with a propensity to do what is evil. I said this last weekend, people often ask me, well, Corey, do you think you can be born that way? Well, sure. You can be born in all kinds of ways with a propensity to sin. Yours may be a sexual thing. Mine may be my, may, mine may be my temper. Yours may be greed or materialism. We all have a propensity. We're all born into a propensity to sin. The question is not, are we born with a propensity to sin? The question is, will we choose to be born again? John chapter three, right? That's the question. We must all be born again so Jesus can take us off that path of destruction and place us on a path of eternal life. So here's the thing, we're all gonna fall. We're all gonna make mistakes in this room. So we must repent, we must choose to ask God to forgive us, we must choose to step away from that sin. And listen, here's the thing. If we are persistent in asking for God's forgiveness, and if we are persistent in moving away from sinful activity, we will not only grow holy, which means closer to God in a way that God wants us to live, we will become sanctified, which means God will start using us for his kingdom. Here's the thing. If we repent when we make mistakes and step away from that sin, over time, you're going to sin less. You're going to do less of those things. You're going to grow closer to God. And as we grow closer to Jesus, we naturally move away from evil. But we have to choose to walk in that direction. It's not gonna happen accidentally. We have to choose to walk in that direction. Here's where it gets difficult though. Not only do you and I have to choose to get up and keep running this marathon, I love how Peter and Paul relate it to that, right? This is like a marathon. They're basically saying it's not a walk in the park. It is hard, right? So not only do we have to choose to keep moving, we have to make sure that we show grace and love and teach the truth to others and walk this marathon out with other people, right? Because it's not just about us getting to heaven. It's about us making sure that we bring as many people with us to heaven, that we love all people, right? That we don't want anyone. It is not God's will that any perish, the Bible says. It is not God's desire that anyone go to hell. So it should not be the desire of the Christian for any to go to hell. And so listen, guys, it is, it is hard to love people right now. It is heartbreaking. It is frustrating. That's coming from a guy. I love people. I love talking to people. I'm the guy on the airplane you hate to sit by. That's me. What are you reading? 
right? You're probably reading it because you don't want to talk to me, but I want to talk to you. <laughs> I'm that guy, right? I'm the guy, I'm the guy at the restaurant that always asks the waitress, like, where are you from, right? And Alicia's like, they don't care. But I'm that guy, right? But I'm going to tell you what, as much as I love people, the last couple of years, it has been hard. It has been hard, right? I said this a couple of weeks ago too. Everyone's like, well, it's so simple, Corey. You just love God and love people. And I'm like, you don't know a lot of people, do you? <laughs> I can introduce you to some. Some that'll challenge your thoughts on that, right? People are hard, man. But I'll tell you what, we cannot let the state of this world distract us or detract us from what Jesus called the second great commandment, loving people, all people, all people. It means that you're called to love the transgendered. It means that you're called to love the LGBTQ community. It means you're called to love the radical Muslim. You're called to love the Baha'i or the Buddhist. You're called to love that lady that calls herself a Christian, but she gossips like crazy and she's mean as a snake. You're called to love that person too. You're called to love the pastor that has moral failure. You're called to love your neighbor that never mows his grass. <laughs> all people. But why, Corey? Because they're all made in the same image of God that you are. And it is not God's will that any of them go to hell. Does that mean we agree with everything they do? Of course not. That's foolish, of course not. But we love them, we love them. So here's a couple of very, very simple closing thoughts on the book of Nehemiah. The first one is this. If we are not going to fall apart as individuals and as a people, let me tell you how simple this is. We must pray. Listen, and when you pray, pray out loud. Hear yourself pray, speak. Listen, I'm, I'm just gonna be personal with you. It's one thing to say, or it's one thing to think in your mind that you struggle with something. It's another thing to hear yourself say it. Say it. There's something about speaking things. I think that's why God spoke the universe into existence. He didn't think it in, he spoke it in. There's something powerful about words, spoken words. Pray out loud, hear yourself pray. And then be quiet and listen for God to speak back to you. Read the Bible and obey the Bible and be active in church. If you'll do these things, you're gonna be okay. Come hell or high water, come whatever, what, what may, you'll be all right if you do these things, okay? Here's the other thing. Every single one of us in this room is gonna make a mistake. But God is quick to forgive if we ask, and we do not have to be slaves to our sin. I said this last week in the baptism service, Romans chapter six, it is really, really horrible theology when Christians walk around saying, I'm just a dirty, rotten sinner, no, you're not. Romans 6, you have been bought with a price by the blood of Jesus Christ, redeemed, the Bible says, which means you have been bought out of. You are no longer identified as a dirty, rotten sinner, right? Bible says to be holy like he is holy. To be set apart and peculiar, the Bible says, right? You're not a dirty, rotten sinner unless you choose to be but you don't have to be. You don't have to be a slave to your sin, okay? God is quick to forgive, he's quick to empower, he's quick to help us. I've also learned through reading Nehemiah that being set apart for God to use me 
is a lifelong process. It never stops. Until we die or until God splits the eastern sky and takes us all home, we are to be gravitating and working and striving to be more like him in our words, in our deeds, in our thoughts, in our actions, everything. Sanctification is a lifelong journey. And then the last thing is this. This is really, really tough. Imagine, imagine Nehemiah, after 12 years of working on this, he looks and he sees the people making the same mistakes. Imagine that. I bet all of you in this room have felt that on some level though. I bet you've poured into people and you just see them do the same stupid things over again. Does that mean we don't love them anymore? No, of course not. Does that mean that we don't keep trying? Of course we keep trying. Why? Why? Because God values people. And whenever we get a little high and mighty and we talk about how bad everyone else is, Paul makes it clear in Romans that Jesus Christ died while you were a sinner too. Corey, they're awful. You've been awful. You've been terrible. We have all fallen short. And if we can learn to look at others the way God looks at us, right? If we can start to show just a fraction of the grace to others as God has shown to us, if we would put on that biblical filter, right, that Jesus lends when we walk out in the world and we don't see people, right, who live lives that we don't agree with, but maybe we have empathy, and even though we don't understand where they, what they're doing, I'm gonna tell you a quick story, real quick, and then I'm gonna end. And I'm not trying to make it about this particular issue, but, but I think it fits. I have a friend, I will not mention this individual's name, years and years ago, this, this individual and I were good friends. And um, he's a man married to another man. I'll be very, very straight. I, I, I don't agree with a gay lifestyle, right? I don't agree with that. The Bible doesn't, I don't either. But I have many, many gay friends. There's a lot of gay people that actually come to this church and they know where I stand, but I feel like I treat them with respect and love and, and so they feel comfortable here and I want them to be here. So me and this individual became pretty good friends, right? And one night we were hanging out late, just he and I, driving around town just talking. And he told me his life story. And this individual has, has made a lot of poor choices. A lot of things that I, I don't agree with. And this one night when we're driving around talking, just literally driving circles around town, he told me when he was a child, he had an uncle that would rape him every single week. Would come over to the house, his parents would be gone, his uncle would babysit him and rape him. Over and over and over again. And so as I'm hearing this in my car, I'm driving and I'm just crying. And the first thing I thought of is I wonder how many Christians have looked at him and said, this guy's just gonna burn in eternity for his decisions, right? They, they're quick to judge him. They're quick to, to, to make assumptions. And though I do not agree with his lifestyle, when you actually get to know someone a little bit, you can start to see how all the dots connected and they ended up in the state they were at. Do I agree with where he's at? No. But you start to see, you start to look at them. You start to look at them like Jesus looked at the woman at the well. That's how you start to look at them. I don't agree with what you're doing, but do you know there's something better? I love you, I love you. That's how Jesus approached a woman who was quite honestly kind of promiscuous. I'm trying to find the right word there, right? It wasn't with hatred. It wasn't with shoving them away. It wasn't with being ashamed to be seen with them in public. 
It was, do you know that there's something that will fulfill you forever? Do you know that? All I'm, all I'm doing is I'm trying to challenge you this morning. Before we write everyone off, right? Well, they're just this, they're just that. They're just a right-wing nut. They're just a left-wing nut. They're just this. They're just... Learn their name. Ask them where they're from. Ask them what their hopes and dreams are. Get to know them a little bit. And, and, and this, this crazy thing may start to happen in our hearts where we might start to love people even in their mess, even in their frustrating qualities, that we may learn to see people like Jesus and hopefully their hearts will be touched, right? You bow your heads with me, please. If you were in this room this morning and um, maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you're new to the faith, up here on my right, your left, Pastor Carl is up here. If you have any questions for Carl about the Bible, about God, about our church, we'll, we'll do our best. If you'll just come up and you can talk to him. We also have men and women on both sides of the stage. If you need prayer for anything, anything in your life, anything, for you, for your friends, for your family, please, please help yourself. The last thing is, is we have communion around this room. I hope we never take communion for granted. I know it's a little later right now, but please don't take this for granted. It is bread and wine that represents the body and blood of Jesus. Jesus himself said, take this every single time you gather as a remembrance of me. This is our opportunity to take the body and the blood of Jesus, right? to take this, to repent for our sin, and to remember that God loved us so much that he sent his only son, that if we will just believe on him, we'll have everlasting life, that God gave his son for our sin to forgive us, because he loves us. Please don't take that for granted today. You're welcome to help yourself here in a moment. You can go back to your seat and you can take communion.